As part of our Mother's Day, we are going to be interviewing, and she'll come right on the platform even as I begin to introduce her, Sandy Fisher, who directs our women's ministry. Come on out, Sandy, wherever you are. Come on out. Yeah. <laughs> She's put on her high heels so she can look me <laughs> eye to eye. <laughs> Sandy is uh, on a volunteer basis uh, leading our women's ministry. If you were to look through week to week, and this week even, you see the various ministries on our weekly sheet of Sunday to Sunday work and fellowship together. So it's a widow's ministry, for instance, part of the women's ministry. Well, I'm going to interview Sandy so that you can find out about this young lady who's leading our ministry amongst the women. So tell me, Sandy, about your family. You've got a husband? I have a husband and one child. He's 14 years old. And uh, how long have you been married? 21 years. Oh, and how old is that one child? Did you say 14? He's 14. So you were seven years, just you and Ken? Yes. Ken being your husband? Yes. Mm. And he's sitting right down here as proud as can be, <laughs> just right here. Anyway, uh, how did you get to meet Ken? Well, I met Ken at happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> but I was home by 7 o'clock, so... <laughs> Without Ken. Right, without Ken. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. And uh, how long did you date him before you got married? We dated about two years. I, I was older, so and I had to hurry up. you married him after two years? <laughs> yes. That's spectacular. Where do you guys live? We live in McCandless. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. So you're out here in this sort of North Hills area. Yes. And uh, looking back over your life, what would you say, because here you are now in church speaking before a congregation, what would you say was one of the highlights, if not the highlight, of your Christian experience along the way? Well, that was when I was saved, when I was 13. I was at uh, Jamonville, which is a summer camp. I went every year and absolutely love Jamonville if you ever can send your you child. You don't know about Jamonville. It's down near Uniontown, mm -hmm. south of Pittsburgh. Methodist campsite, got a big cross up on the hill there. Big cross, yeah. I've spoken there once or twice in my life here in Pittsburgh. So that's where you experienced the Lord, who I'd like to come into your life. It was an incredible service. We were in the chapel, and it was, we felt the Holy Spirit there. I felt the warmth. Everyone did. Everyone was crying. I mean, no one left. I mean, we were there, we were there for hours. And that changed my life. It was mm. And you were fabulous. 14. 13, yeah, 13, 14. That's a message to us all. Mm. Most of the kids who end up going through these camps become the leaders of tomorrow. And people who get to know the Lord in their youth, which saves them a whole lot of grief. And that's mm. the truth. I miss that, by the way, in some respects. Great. Well, now, uh, tell us about... Uh, becoming a mother on this Mother's Day? Mm. I hope I don't cry, <laughs> but I couldn't have kids for a long time, 
And so we had gone to an infertility clinic, and when I met with the doctor, he told me he would try one time, and then... Why did he tell you that? I was too old. He would try one time, and then... Um, so I was devastated. And I didn't go back for about six months because I, I couldn't do it. I just was hurting so much. So we did go back six months later, and they said, we have to do a blood test before we start the treatment. And I said, that's a waste of time because, you know, it's been so many years. And so I was one day in a mediation for my job, big meeting with lawyers everywhere, and I looked at my phone, and I had a call from the doctor's office, so I left the room, took the call, and the lady said, the nurse said to me, Mrs. Fisher, we don't know why you're here. And I'm like, well, because, you know, I'm starting treatment, you know, I'm going on and on. And she said, you are very, 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 very pregnant. <laughs> I was and two, you were. I was two and a half months pregnant and wow. had no idea. <laughs> so you were in some big time lawyers meeting. Yes. Your job is working with lawyers, mm -hmm. keeping them briefed? Yes. Mm -hmm. So you're with all these big time guys and yes. you get a call. Yeah, and I left. And you left because <laughs> of where it came from. Right. And got that news. Yes. What did, did you go back in and talk to those lawyers about what you just heard? Well, I cried first. And then I tried to pull myself together and I went back into the meeting and the whole time I'm in this mediation, I could not even concentrate. So I did stay. And then immediately after I told my boss I had to go home. <laughs> How did you tell Ken? Um, it wasn't that big of a thing. He just came home from work one day and I just said to him, I said, Guess what? I have something to tell you. <laughs> and he said, well, let's see, where are you going? Who are you going out with? <laughs> I said, no, we're going to have a baby, and I'm already pregnant. <laughs> that is great. Well, a lot of you can identify with where Sandy was, longing to have a child and not being able to. That's a very painful, for some of you here this morning, painful issue. But we're here to celebrate your mothers as well, which is big time. Now here you are leading the women's ministry, having been on parish council and, and a part of a lot of other parish life here over the years. Yes. Uh, tell us just a bit about what, why you're excited enough to be and take on the responsibility of leading that work. I just think that Women need to be connected in some way, somehow, with a Bible study, some kind of ministry we have here, because we are very relational, and like the things that I have gone through, someone else has. So I could listen to the wisdom of older um, parishioners, and hopefully I can help someone along too. Through my life's journey, things that have happened to me, we need to it's just a big family here. And I feel like that, you know, you want to come to the family reunion with something. And so I, it's important to me that you feel connected. If you come to an event, you meet some new people and then, you know, you maybe go out to lunch, go out to dinner and get to know them a little bit. Women had a banquet here or really a brunch. It looked like a banquet. 
because the men came and served them, all dressed handsomely. And uh, yesterday morning I was here just to give thanks, not to hang out with the ladies and eat their food. And uh, there was Wilson Hall, full of ladies sitting around the table talking with each other, just exactly what you were describing. And hearing a woman who has given her life now to working with the poor of Africa, helping them with uh, what they call microeconomics, starting small businesses with small amounts of money and the help to get it going, changing Africa, one woman, one family at a time. So, well, I'm going to pray with you, and then we'll say thank you, and we'll get on with preaching. Though I think you've heard as much <laughs> sermon as you really need already. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence here with us. Thank you for the way you captured Sandy's heart as a young lady at a camp all those years ago. And just as we spoke about your spirit moving across us, thank you for that moment when your spirit moved through that campsite. And all those young people were so moved, so many people like Sandy here. And how that has lasted down through the years. Until one day, Sandy, as well as we, will see you face to face. Thank you, Lord. We pray for her work here amongst the ladies. And the work that the women themselves experience as they lead one another, pray together, and work together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, say thank you to Sandy, please. Thank you, Sandy. Well, I think we need to pray again. I need help. Let's pray. Lord, I do need help. I need your help. I ask you, Lord, to take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, Mother's Day is a very special day because we get to honor our mothers, even if our mother has died and gone on ahead, to honor the memory of our mothers. We never, ever forget them. They don't go away. And I can say this 100, with 100,000% certainty. Each one of you had a mother. And the impact of the child-rearing years, because the mother is the first nurturer, whether feeding at her breast, those first steps, Diapers changed, held tight with colic or whatever else is causing you to weep. Very, very special bond. There's nothing quite like mother love. Mother carries us in her womb. 
us guys will never understand that. Carries us in her arms. First picture of I know of me is in my mother's arms. Little infant. You can't see me. My mother's just sort of holding me, but I'm her first child, and they took that picture. Carried. Because we're not going anywhere by ourselves. And they carry us forever in their hearts. We never cease to be their child. And wonder of wonders, they carry us in their prayers. The prayers of a mother through the anguish of watching her children or child go through whatever circumstances life throws at them. You can never ever stop a mother praying for her son or daughter. And that bond, that mother love, as we call it, is amazing. And they teach us all our first little lessons. I picked up this morning, amongst my notes, a bunch of lessons. I don't ever remember reading this, but I thought, how appropriate. My mother taught me, first of all, about food groups. She said, if you put one foot outside that door, you're not getting any homemade bread. My mother taught me about extraordinary contortions. Have you seen the dirt on the back of your neck? My mother taught me to stand firm. You sit there till all that spinach is finished. My mother taught me about weather. Looks like a tornado swept through this room. My mother taught me about hypocrisy. She said, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times. Don't exaggerate. <laughs> My mother taught me about the circle of life. I brought you into this world, she said, and I can take you out. <laughs> and then my mother taught me about uh, behavioral programming. Stop acting like your father. I mean, all those little lessons along the way. I could go through the lessons my mother taught me, as so can you. Getting you ready for school, encouraging you with your homework, putting a Band-Aid on a knee. The first party you remember for your birthday. All those memories and little happenings, so powerful in our lives. So there's nothing quite like that mother love. Well, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture and in the light of being a mother, being raised by a mother, remembering and honoring our mothers, take you through a passage, in a very famous passage, about love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you look at page 6 in your service sheet, You'll find it there, and I'll lead you through much of what it has to say. But amongst all the lessons that can be learned, there are four 
huge lessons I want to direct to your attention. The first is very, very obvious, especially as you read this text, but may be obvious to us in the first place anyway, that love is other-oriented. In other words, you may be the lover, the one expressing love, but it's outwardly focused on someone else. So love, while you exercise love, for love to be exercised, you have to be something other than self-absorbed, self-centered. I mean, when we live our lives self-absorbed and self-centered and it becomes all about us, love is not present in the same way. There may be moments, but the love that's described here is clearly outward-looking, not inward-looking. Take a look at these words as you have them right in front of you. Love is patient. Well, with whom? Love is kind. Well, to whom? And when it says it does not envy, envy is about your sense, your feelings, what you want. As it goes on to say, it's, it does not boast. What is boasting about? Self-promotion. Talking about myself. It's not proud. What is pride about? It's me talking about myself. It is not rude. When are we rude? When people get in our way? When they're annoying to us? As it goes on to say here, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Most irritable people who are easily angered are thus because they can't get their own way. In fact, there is one statement I remember from years ago. There's no one as frustrated as one who must have their own way because you aren't going to get your own way all the time. When you engineer life around it, what you begin to exhibit is this kind of easily angered attitude. It keeps no record of wrongs. So love in the first place, as you would look at this and as you would think about it, is not about us that is inwardly focused, but it is about us being outwardly focused, looking elsewhere, being considerate of others, bearing them in mind, wrapping our emotions and our attitudes around what is best for them, looking out for them. And what better exhibit of that is a mother? You have a child, and 24-7, wasn't that, for those of you who were here, wasn't that a great video that we showed last week about the job that's 24-7, 24, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no pay, on call, on demand, anytime, day or night? Some of you caught that. And the chap who was doing, was going, 
going through this like a regular interview. This wasn't about church. It was actually a secular piece anticipating Mother's Day, but it's about the interviewing process for a job. And there were three or four people they interviewed for this job. And, and the, the, the question was, you mean this is without pay? Yes. Well, who would do that? Well, what, what's the reward? Oh, there are all kinds of rewards. But no pay, no pay. Who would do that? Well, you began to get it. If we'd have put that on today, you'd have immediately got it. We did it last week as a sort of a briefing in preparation for this week. Once you get children, life is not about you. It's about them. And your whole life gets rearranged around them. Immediately. I mean, absolutely immediately. Picture of what's described here in terms of what love is. Other-oriented. Second thing is, love is unconditional. If you look at verse 5, it speaks about keeping no record of wrongs. It is amazing, is it not, how a mother doesn't store up and keep a record of and a written litany of everything we do to ignore them, offend them, hurt them, disobey them, get in their way, not do what we're told, not be responsive or respective of who they are. I mean, along the way you can think, my goodness me, will they ever say thank you? Because it's often gimme, 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 do for me, do for me, do for me. But mother love really is that kind of available, non-judgmental, keeping no record of wrongs, ready to forgive, ready to begin again, ready to kiss away the tears of remorse or hurt, ready to get on with the rest of life. It's a great gift. Being able to forgive becomes more and more difficult as we get older together as husbands and wives, maybe with grown children now, Circumstances change in our attitudes along the way. And we begin to store up the hurts and the griefs. And nothing kills love like stored up hurt. Because it becomes a part of, it's about me again. I am hurt. I'm wounded. While we may have to deal with that, the great thing about God's love, even in being able to come to church and pray as we pray, sing as we sing, join together, is that what it does is recalibrate our lives, sort of restart us, begin again. 
I've come to church really irritated and angry from time to time. But once I get into worship, God gets a hold of me and turns that around. You may have experienced it here this morning. You may have had a fight getting out of the house and on your way to church and getting everybody here. And or driven like a bat out of hell to get here. But when you get in here and you sense the Spirit of God and Him at work in you, part of the fellowship and the worship and the responsiveness to His Word, you can let stuff go. And the opportunity to press the restart button is a gift from God. We don't have to carry all that garbage. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Third description about love here is that it is moral. Look at verse 6. Very, very strong statement that love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, with what is right. Does not delight itself in evil. In other words, love is not sentimentality, not this kind of love. There's a kind of a gushy sentimentality that uh, doesn't see any wrong when there really is wrong to be seen. Doesn't correct because it just oozes along with, ooches along with, drifts along with, whatever is the bad activity of the kids or people in our lives. Genuine love desires God's best. That is God's way. God's truth. God created us. I was not here last Sunday because I was doing a wedding. And as I was marrying this couple, I asked them the question, do you want a great marriage? They said yes. An expected answer. I mean, they answered up in front of me, in front of a couple of hundred people. Yes. I said, do you want an average marriage? They said no. I said, the average sometimes looks good. But they want a great marriage. I said, you want a great marriage, you do it God's way. Marriage is God's idea. It's not just social evolution. We're created after God's image. Male and female were created. Love, sex, commitment, and marriage are all God's idea. And family to boot. All God's idea. To do it His way. He has a plan for our lives. He has a standard that's set. Husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Wives are told to honor, respect the leadership of their husbands. Children, as we read along the way here, are to obey their parents. Wouldn't it be spectacular if husbands loved... Just let me put this in front of you. Wouldn't it be spectacular at home... In our families, if husbands love their wives the way the Bible said. Ladies? Yes. Wouldn't it be wonderful, men, if the wives honored us and respected us? Kind of gave us some sense of headship or leadership. 
Guys, what do you think? Let me ask you as parents, you guys are really quiet. You're sitting with each other and you don't want to take on whatever happens afterward. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How great would it be, parents, if your kids honored you? If they were obedient? How cool would that be? You put it all together and what have you got? A happy home and marriage. Whatever the ups and downs are, you've got each other's back. You're in place. You're giving it your best shot to walk in the Lord's way. God's got a plan for our lives. You want to screw up a marriage, do it your way. Get up and have to have your own way. Go over what we've just looked at, and rather than following God's way, do it your way. See how long that lasts for a day. Love, God's love, this kind of love, always rejoices in what is right. Never, ever rejoices in what is wrong. So you young people out there, get it. My mother was a disciplinarian. My dad died when I was seven, so she was mum and dad to me and my brothers. And we lived in the day when you got punished physically, forcibly, painfully for disobeying. My mother took the belt to me. And I deserved it. And I never resented it. And I've got, never gone around wounded and warped because of it. So I don't know what the psychologists are talking about nowadays. Because if you spare the rod, you spoil the child, says the scripture. There is a right way to do things, and when they're not obeyed and we do the wrong thing, there is a price to be paid. Which brings me to the last and fourth point about this kind of love, because the very word itself describes what the love is. You know, there are different words in the Greek language for love. There's one that talks about brotherly love, like Philadelphia, that's from the Greek. Philadelphos, brotherly love. There's one about family love. There's another for friendship love. This word here, agape, which is better known than any of the other. Well, you do know the eros word, romantic love. That's from where you, whence you get erotic. That's another word for love in Greek. But this one, agape, most of us have picked up along the way if we've been in any kind of church-going circles. Because when the Bible says that God so loved the world... It was a sacrificial love that was being described. It wasn't warm feelings about a screwed up human race. It cost him his son. He so loved the world that he gave his son, his only begotten son. It was very, very costly, sacrificial. And the kind of love that's being described here is not just about feelings, sentimentality, 
It's not even just about what is right and what is wrong. It's really about the price you have to pay if you're going to live your life God's way and sacrificially put yourself as third. God first, others second, self third. That's what we teach kids in camp. God first, others second, self third. Humanly speaking, that's not going to happen. It's self first. If God's in the picture, he may be last. We may put others ahead of him in order to sort of negotiate our lives. Sacrificially, God loved you personally. And it brings us full circle as to where do you find the power and the ability, the mindset, the spiritual fortitude to live life as described here. Because it sort of sounded good and even humorous here and there along the way. But where do you find that? Where is the source for that? How do you get it? How do we become the people we want to be or that are described here? How do things get to change? Because if it goes on the same and we never change, then nothing ever changes around us. And it's to get back to the Lord Jesus himself. He is the one who authored this kind of love. From his word here, we've seen it described. And in the life of Jesus and in the death of Jesus, we see it exhibited. God loving you enough to die on the cross for you, laying down his life for you, the Father giving his very best for you, Jesus doing the Father's will rather than his own. He would just as soon have avoided taking all the filth and garbage and pain and hate and viciousness of this world on himself with its judgment and guilt on the cross. He would just as soon have avoided that. He's praying, praying, Father, is there some other way? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And in sacrificial love, Jesus did not have his life taken from him. He laid it down of his own accord. He gave himself sacrificially for you. And the beginning place for us is at the cross to begin again in our marriage, in our relationships, in our attitudes, in who's got a hold of our lives. Bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the way you got a hold of Sandy's life in those early years of her life. Thank you for the way you have moved in our lives. And our prayer right now is that we self-consciously come to you and ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive us. Our willfulness, our self-centeredness, the arrogance of it all, and all the pain that it's caused us and others along the way.
we come to you, Lord Jesus. Ask you to forgive us, restore us, fill us, renew us, redirect us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.